And good morning to everyone joining us virtually and in person. It's nice to see some new faces. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. We are traveling through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' introductory sermon or teaching discourse. It is absolutely critical in the big picture of his teaching and of his ministry. The Sermon on the Mount gives us so much to understand the New Testament and who Jesus is and why he came and what he did. This morning we'll consider a summative statement um, that many of us are very familiar with, but we want to put it into context. This is the last thing that Jesus will say before he closes out on the subject of judgment. Many people will hone in on a verse like this and then forget the rest of it or ignore the rest of it, and we can't do that. So perhaps one of the most widely recognized statements of Jesus, and rightfully so, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, says this. Whatever, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. What you would have other people do to you, let that be your standard as to how you treat and engage other people. So often this verse is lifted out by itself and it, it can stand alone for sure. But we have to understand where it belongs and why Jesus was teaching this and the significance of it. The meaning is very plain. It's not hard to understand. It takes effort to implement it, but it's not hard to understand. Jesus is giving a very concise summary of the Old Testament. He is looking at the law and the prophets and he summarizes it. It's not everything that we read in the Old Testament, but it's a nice way to tie it all together to say, essentially, the heart of God will is focused on how we treat one another, how we value people. It's summed up. Love your neighbor. You've often heard me put it in this way. Love well. That's the summary of the summary. Love well. That is so important. It is so close and near to the heart of God. This very simple truth echoes all throughout the New Testament. The Apostle Paul put it this way when writing to the Galatians. He said the entire law, all of it, is fulfilled in this one word. 
love your neighbor as yourself. The totality of what was spoken to us in the law as far as a directive to us, so much of it can be summed up in that one word, that one directive. Those who are around you, love them. Love them and treat them in the same way that you would desire to be treated. It's not complicated. But I want to develop this just a little bit more. Because if we take this as a standalone concept, we miss the richness and the true meaning of what Jesus was angling towards. He makes a very interesting statement in Matthew seven twelve. He says, this is the law and the prophets. He says, guys, if... If you don't see this, you're missing the big picture of what you're supposed to be doing. We talked about this in the beginning. What's the law and what's the prophets? Well, the law essentially is the first five books of your Old Testament. Moses, remember, brought down the Ten Commandments. The prophets are the ones who essentially came after and reminded the people of what they were supposed to be doing. They would faithfully call them to repentance because the Israelites didn't exactly do the best job with this. And so generation after generation, there were prophets who would come and these prophets would call them on the carpet and they would say, you have drifted away from God, come back to God and demonstrate it in how you treat one another. The prophets spoke in real time. But there's more. There's more to understanding this phrase, even in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what Jesus said after the Beatitudes. Jesus said that he came to fulfill what they all had to say. The big question from the religious leaders, what's his straight edge going to be? How is he going to teach? What is his standard going to be? Is he going to uphold Moses? Is he going to teach the prophets? Will will he be in line? Will he be orthodox in what he says? Jesus says, good news. I'm I'm not going to ignore them. I'm not going to discard them. But fellas, there's more. I'll fulfill them. Well, all the animosity that had been building, thanks to Jesus' cousin, well, now that was in full view. They hated him. They opposed Jesus at every turn. Because Jesus not only said that he was coming as a rabbi, as a teacher, or even a continuation of the prophets, he says, actually, they are all talking about me. And you, religious leaders, you've missed it all. Jesus brings us into sharp focus after his resurrection. Remember the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24? We'll just highlight verse 44. Then Jesus spoke to them, to these disciples who were distraught, who 
who uh, actually this was before the resurrection, he, they didn't understand why Jesus had died. They thought everything was just, there was no hope. He said, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law and the prophets must be fulfilled. They didn't understand the cross. They didn't understand why Jesus would die. He was supposed to be their Messiah, the one who would deliver them. And yet there he was naked on a cross and seemingly helpless. They didn't understand that. But, oh, Jesus said, please go back and read it and you'll see me because they ultimately were speaking about me. It's all about Christ and make no mistake. The Apostle Paul picked up the mantle and did the exact same thing. This is the end of the book of Acts. This is how the book of Acts concludes. Acts Chapter 28, he would preach the message of the kingdom. This is how the book of Acts closes. From morning until evening, he, Paul, expounded, that is, he taught to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. How did he do so? Both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. What Paul was doing was going back to the Hebrew scriptures and showing them how the Hebrew scriptures was all about Christ. But now I must labor to develop a very particular truth in regards to what we've just spoken to. So that we can properly understand what Jesus is saying here and put it in its context. We begin with a little intramural fighting with the Jewish leaders. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, which is like another religious group. Well, then they gather together. And one of them, a lawyer, a sharp thinker amongst them. He said, well, I'll take care of it. Clearly, the Sadducees couldn't handle him. So thankfully, I'm here and I will. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. This is Matthew 7. Uh, no, 22. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? What is the most important commandment in the law? Of Moses. Oh, and Jesus said to him, You will love the Lord your God 
with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now watch what he's going to do. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus says the entire law and the prophets depend upon or are summed up by saying love your neighbor, there's actually a step that comes before that. Because you cannot truly love your neighbor until you first are right with God vertically, aligned with the truth of God, aligned with God's truth. So now that you're aligned with God vertically, the natural outflow and outcome of that and the best expression of being aligned with God vertically is to love your neighbor. So don't miss that one piece of truth that, yes, the summation is love your neighbor, but what has to be in place is that we are right with God so that we can love our neighbor. This is not just a random statement, go love people, be nice to people. I mean, that is nice, but that's not really the heart of it. It's be right with God, honor him, serve him, love him in a New Testament sense. Remember Acts chapter 20, Paul would preach of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. It all hangs right here. This is the summation. The latter assumes the former. We first Align ourselves with God, with his truth. And then from that good place, we love other people. We can't have one without the other. We can't do it properly without the other. Consider this Christian teaching from James chapter 2. James says, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you are doing well. He says, if you are indeed, if you are indeed loving your neighbor, you do well. That's a good thing. But now we need to turn the corner and develop this just a little bit more. But, he says, verse 9, if you show partiality, you are committing sin. And you are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, if you are a sparky, if you're an Awana, you, will, you might recognize this verse. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of it all. Now, it's that last point that we need to consider this morning because we want to understand the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus ultimately is speaking towards. 
Let's tie it all together. The gospel. We've said in Matthew chapter 6, kind of bleeding into chapter 7, that this is practical Christian living. That is, Jesus is showing us the heart of God so that we can know the heart of God and know how to follow him. But remember, before that, what did he say? How do we enter the kingdom? It's through poverty of spirit. It is through coming to a place where you recognize the pervasive nature of sin in your own life. You do not try to pretend that you are someone that you are not. You recognize your need. How did Christ fulfill the law? Remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. All of this ties together. When Jesus said, I've not come to abolish, but I have come to fulfill. We can tie all of this together. Jesus came to fulfill the laws we said before in two ways. By his active obedience and by his passive obedience. Active obedience is when Jesus submitted himself to the law. He was born under the law and he did what you and I could never do in our wildest dreams. He kept it. He obeyed it. He fulfilled it. He actually did it without any error or any shortcoming. Jesus did what that which we could never do. His passive obedience, what he had happened to him, what others did to him, that is his suffering. That is the last couple of chapters in the gospel accounts where Jesus was whipped and beaten, when he was mistreated, where he was slandered, where he was slapped, where that crown of thorns was mockingly put on his head. And when he surrendered to it, when he took the lashes for you and for me. This, dear saints, is the good news that we cherish. John puts it this way, John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The same language as in the Beatitudes. This is the beauty and the power and the simplicity of the good news of Jesus Christ, of the gospel to all who received him, to all who were poor in spirit and who see their absolute need for someone to rescue them, to do for them that which we could never do ourselves. The longer we look at the law, the more we are convinced that we cannot keep it and that we fall short. And here is his passive obedience explained so well by the Apostle Paul. For our sake, God made him to be sin 
who knew no sin. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ the righteous one. We the sinners. We the guilty ones. It looks like this. Christ without sin. Took on our sin. That we might become through faith in him. The righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ, that exchange, that beautiful free gift in which he takes our sin and we take his righteousness because of what he himself has done. Saints, we are preparing to enter very sacred territory in the end of Matthew chapter 7. The theme is judgment and we will not go quickly through it. Because we need to hear it. We need to hear the totality of what Jesus is speaking. But what I want you to hear this morning is simply this. When Jesus comes to the place where he sums up practical Christian living. Where he sums up for us, his followers, what it looks like in real life. What it should look like in real life. To serve him, to love him, to follow him, it is summed up in how we treat and how we value people. That's the test. And that is what he chooses to end with. That is what he wants us to hear as he comes to the end of this part of his discourse. Love your neighbor as yourself. It is active. You die to yourself. You are considerate of others. As we saw in Micah chapter 6. Do justly and love mercy. That is where it is summed up. But we miss the totality of it. If we don't remember that parallel track that runs through the Sermon on the Mount, which is these ideals that are there, we can never keep them perfectly. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and fall short of the glory of God. Every last one of us. The wages, Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. But, verse 23, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so it's on that note that we will close this morning and transition into the Lord's table, into communion. I've quite intentionally had us observe communion this morning because I want us to take in all that Jesus has been teaching us, the glorious, freeing truth of the gospel. That Christ indeed would suffer for us. And what we are to be known for and to strive for, that is to love people. So I do want you to do this as we prepare To observe communion together. I want you to take just a few moments.
to consider the depth and the beauty and the power of the gospel of Christ. How deeply you are loved. If you are here this morning, if you have come this morning questioning that. Oh, please know there's a reason why you're going to hold these things in your hand is tactile. It's a reminder that you are deeply, deeply loved and that you are accepted through Christ. It is a very good time to take inventory, to just pause. Another week has gone by. Are there sins that you need to confess? Ponder this question. Not in a way of self-condemnation, but as a way of taking inventory. How have I loved my neighbor this week? Could I do better by God's grace and with his help? Could I be more attentive, more considerate, more less focused on me and more focused on others? Could I be more intentional about seeing the needs and the hurts of people around me? Could I give a little bit more to serve others? Like I said, by no means to condemn ourselves, but simply to take inventory. God has been so good to us. Let us in return... As a response to his love, ask ourselves this question this week. How do I love well? Lord, show me. Show me ways to love well. Show me ways to value others and to show that they are valued, to demonstrate that to them. So take just a moment of quietness. And we know that there might be some background noise and that's okay. Just take a moment or two to reflect on this. Please take a moment to uh, open your little communion containers. I realized we have to actually leave time for that. So we'll do that now. speaking to the Corinthian church Paul said this for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed 
he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, hang on one moment before you do. I want you just to hold that in your hand for a moment. Feel it. Jesus said, this is my body. It's for you. Would you join me, please? In the same way, he took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you join me, please? Would you pray with me, please? Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. Thank you for the power of the gospel, for the assurance. Of our salvation which you give us. As we stand on your promises. And follow and serve you. Oh Lord let us not forget. The great price that was paid. To redeem us. To deliver and to save us. Thank you. Please give us insight and wisdom and strength and patience and presence of mind. To be good news to those around us. Truly to love our neighbor. All of the thanks, the honor, and the praise, and the glory, it all goes to you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.